program. He's going to win. Romney will win the election. Do you believe that? I absolutely believe that. What makes you believe that? Because the Lord told me. <laughs> well, that's why I'm glad, to, I'm glad to know. I wasn't sure how you knew. <laughs> really, the Lord said that to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I told Mitt a long time ago. I called him. I said, listen, I've, I've, I've been in prayer. I, I, Number one, you're going to win the nomination. Number two, you're going to win the general election. He said, well, what can I do for you? I said, well, give me a seat on the platform. <laughs> your inauguration. Give me a ticket to your inauguration. Recently, the Lord said he's going to have a second term. So, I, And, I, and I, I told him, I said, listen, there's going to be, there will be trillions of dollars coming into the economy when you're elected. Trillions of dollars. So you do see the economy turning. Oh my! If he wins the election, there'll be a flood of money that's on the sidelines into business, into real estate, and there should be a huge boom. The stock market ought to boom. Everything ought to boom. I, I would think, if he's elected. If on the other hand, oh, but the Lord told you he would be. Yes. <laughs> One of the hardest things is when someone comes up and says, "God told me." Have you ever had that experience? Where someone says, I mean, they're talking to you. And, and lots of people have this. I understand that. And I, and I want to distinguish between the leading of God. There's times that we say, you know, I sense God leading. I, I feel impressed upon my heart that God wants me to. We're at least leading, uh, we're leaving the door open for a little bit of human error in, in, in hearing God's voice. But when someone says, God told me, that's a difficult thing. I've had that experience many, many times in ministry where someone has come up to me and said, Brother Steve, I want you to know that God has told me to sell all my possessions and give to the poor. And I'm like, great, do it. That's fantastic. Now, I want you to know over 30 years of ministry, not too many people have come up to me and said that. I, maybe a handful, maybe one or two. But I've had people come up and say, you know what? Steve, I feel that God's told me that I need to go into full-time ministry. I need to quit my job right now, and I need to go into full-time ministry. Okay, then you need to do that. Now, what's difficult in that, sometimes in that situation, I think of one situation where the person's never had any biblical training, and they really haven't been involved in the church where discipleship has taken place. So, if, if you're asking me my opinion, I'm going to say, I don't know if God is saying that. There's been times where I've had people say, come to my office and say, God's leading me out of this church and to do this or that. And so when they come into my office, this has been more so at Maranatha because I had more years there, but it's happened at Mission View. But I've had, you know, when they come into my office, my question is, are you seeking my counsel or are you just informing me of what God has told you? Oh, no, Brother Steve, we want your counsel. Well, if you want my counsel, then I'm going to ask that you kind of take off that phrase, God told me so, because if we're counseling, then I don't want to go against God's voice. I don't want to contradict God. So let's just... Take a look at your situation and evaluate it to see whether or not God wants this. And so we pray through it. We evaluate it. Does God speak to us? He does speak to us. I believe he speaks to us in his word. If you told me that God told me that I'm a child of God, I would say absolutely. If you said God told me I am fearfully and wonderfully made, absolutely. If you said that God told me that I am complete in Christ? Absolutely. 
But when we get out into the realm of the subjective, it becomes very, very difficult. Today we're entering into the territory of God told me. We're talking about even visions. And so Paul is going to go into this idea of a vision of how God spoke to him. Now we're going to see in our passage today one negative example of God told me, and we're going to see a positive example. The positive example will be in the Apostle Paul. So let me set the context. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we, uh, before we actually do, let me ask the Lord's blessing in our, in, in our time together. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, I pray that you'd help us to understand what you really are speaking to us about. Help us to understand your heart and help us to understand the passage that is before us. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to really understand the work of weakness that you want in our life. Because this is what our passage is going to talk about. And I pray that you would help us to see what you want to do through weak individuals that are dependent upon you. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Paul is going to talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 of a special vision that he had and what God spoke to him about. Now, we'll explore that in a minute. But what's important is understanding the why behind Paul sharing this story. Evidently, some of these false apostles or false leaders, if you're new with us, this is what Paul has been confronting. Evidently, there were those that came into the church that were fault. They were presenting themselves as super apostles and that they wanted the Corinthians to follow after them. Paul was absent. He was doing ministry in another town. So these people came in. They were sliding into the leadership position and they were leading the Corinthian people. And when Paul writes this letter, part of it is for them to to think through what they're doing, think through their actions. And evidently, these super apostles had shared vision stories with the Corinthians that alleged maybe some special revelation that they needed to listen to. And therefore, that's one of the reasons why they needed to follow after them because they had heard from God. God told me so. And so Paul is going to go against that. And so in chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, ver the very first verse, this is what Paul says. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now every time, I think you're getting a pattern here, that every time that Paul says, I'm going to go on boasting, he's trying to counteract something that these super apostles were doing. And so what he's counteracting is whatever vision stories they told the Corinthian people, Paul says, I am going to go on to visions and, I am, and revelations, and I am going to tell you what the Lord has to say. Now, what I see in this verse is a reluctancy of Paul. You see, Paul understands that pride can be wrapped up in this, God told me so. And these visions can draw undue attention to an individual, and it kind of puts them in a special category, doesn't it? It puts them in the category of, God speaks to me, he doesn't speak to you, so you better listen to whatever I have to say, because most people that he was writing to didn't have these kind of visions. But Paul is going to speak of a vision that he had 
that he had never given to anybody for the purpose of showing what the visions were really about. Now, before we get into that vision, let me tell you the punchline of the story. The punchline of the entire passage is that there are two truths, two axioms, so to speak, that we are going to see in our passage develop. Here's the first axiom. Let me give it to you. Powerful people are really weak. Powerful people, those that present themselves as upfront, powerful, I'm going to lead you, and I want you to almost demanding your attention. He's saying that there's a good chance there's a weakness. See, this is what Paul is dealing with with these super apostles that he wants to confront and wants the Corinthians to understand. But then here's the second axiom. The second axiom is that weak people are really powerful. Here's the caveat. These are weak people that start to understand their need for Christ. And thus they understand how dependent on Christ they are in their life. And as a result, God starts to work through them because they are dependent on God in a supernatural way. And there is incredible power that God does through that individual. You see, I believe that the vision that these false apostles or super apostles shared were self-serving, and thus they showed how weak they were. What Paul is going to do is when he shares his vision, he's actually going to show the weakness that came as a result of that vision. And there was a, a very distinct weakness, an illness or a physical affirmity that Paul had that God gave to him to remind him that he had to be dependent upon the Lord. So let's start into the vision Chapter 12, starting in verse 2, let's take a look and we'll read through verse 6. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf, of this man, I, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, as you can tell, this isn't exactly one of those easy passages that you just like, wow, that's great devotional stuff. I, I understand that right away. To be honest, at first glance, it kind of sounds like, doo -doo 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 -doo. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Third heaven, paradise, I got caught up. But when you understand the context of it, it's actually very, very beautiful. So let's tear it apart. He starts off with, I know a man in Christ. What Paul is doing, and it's evident as the passages have developed, is he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself in third person. And you say, well, why is Paul talking about himself in third person? Well, he does this to show humility. He's doing this to avoid self-promotion. Paul is taking every precaution he can in sharing this personal story of what God did in his life. So, I know a man in Christ who, for four, who 14 years ago. Now the experience that happened to him happened 14 years prior to this and he had not shared it with anybody else. 
This was something that only was between Paul and God. Now, there must have been a very good reason that Paul was sharing it now with the Corinthian people. I think it's to combat the, those visions that were given by the super apostles. Now, I want you to know, though, based on what we know of this passage, what we've read already, that this was quite a spectacular thing. So this shows us that Paul is not braggadocious in any way, but he rather, he wants to draw attention to God. Now let me put it this way. Let's say, by chance, there was a local lottery, and you were picked. Michael, you are picked, and you are picked to go to the presidential inauguration. Now, Michael, you're so special. They are not only going to allow you to go to the inauguration, but you get to sit on the very front row of the swearing-in ceremony. And then you get to participate in all the events of the day, and you're going to go to the ball at night, and you're just going to have a great time. In addition to that, they're going to give you 15 minutes alone, just face-to-face, to to give all your counsel to President-elect Donald Trump. And so you get a chance one-on-one. Of course, you're going to get your picture taken. Now, if that happened to Michael or that happened to any one of us or it happened to me, I can guarantee you that when we got back in little North Canton, Ohio, we would probably be telling of that experience with everybody. Whether it was this president or the last president, it would just be an honor to be able to be a part of something that grand and that spectacular. Now, in this situation, Paul isn't meeting with a president. He's meeting with the God of the universe. He's observing the glory of God in in heaven, in paradise, and he keeps it to himself. Why? There was nothing previous to this to be gained by sharing. It was an event that was so incredible, he could not articulate it. And finally, there were things that were given to him that were for him only. And so this is what we see here. 14 years previous, This is when this vision came to him. So, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, this is kind of weird terminology for us, uh, a third heaven, but it's not from a biblical context. There were different levels of heaven that are given in the Scripture. There's the first level of the sky that we see. The Scriptures call it the heavens. In Genesis chapter 8, Verse 2, it said the floodgates of the heavens or the sky had been closed. And it talks about the, then goes on and talks about how they were open and the flood came. The skies were the immediate first heaven. But then there is an interplanetary space where the sun and the moon are. Psalm 8, verse 3 says this When I consider your heavens, the moon and the stars, So it's talking about that level of heaven. But then there's a third level of heaven, which I believe Paul is talking about here, and it's the presence of God. Psalm 123.1 says this, I lift up my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. So Paul is describing in this situation that he is going before the presence of God. Did he see God? Well, the scriptures say that no man saw God. Did God shield his, uh, his face from, uh, from Paul like, uh, like he did with Moses when he passed by Moses in his presence? I'm going to guess. But somehow he was in the presence of God. Now our verse 3 says this. 
I know that this man was caught up into paradise. We'll look at that phrase here in a minute. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Paul says that twice. Why does he say, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know? I think that because this wasn't the emphasis of his physical presence. Paul, in a, was this a dream state? Was he physically present before God? He honestly doesn't know. And to be honest, it wasn't really that important. What's important was that he went before the presence of God and he was caught up or raptured up into a place called paradise. Now this is a descriptive of what heaven will be like. We want heaven to be paradise, don't we? God says it is paradise. We know in Revelations 2-7 that there is a, a description of what heaven will be like. Listen, this is what Revelation says. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You see what's happening? Eden is created all over again in this place called heaven. It's, it's Eden 2.0. And it's going to be a better Eden. But the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden is now in this place called paradise and the paradise of God. And so Paul is giving a description of the place that he is at, and he is going to be there. Now, so why does Paul, why does God give Paul this experience? I think our passage indicates maybe four things. One of the things I'm, I'm kind of deducing out of, out of our passage. Number one is he is giving instruction. Notice what Paul said. I heard things that cannot be told which man cannot utter. In other words, they were for Paul's ears only. We know that God had, had, throughout history, spoke to special individuals. In the Old Testament, he spoke to Moses. He said some very specific things to Moses that Moses would do because Moses was going to be his chosen instrument to lead a nation. In the New Testament, God spoke to Paul. We're told in Ephesians chapter 3 that God gave Paul the administration or the blueprint of the local church. And so God had given him that instruction. What was Paul, God instructing him? We don't know. But we know that God uses visions like this to instruct specifically Paul. But we also know that these visions could lead Paul. Not only instruct him, but give guidance that he needed. Do you realize in the book of Acts, there are six different times that God or Paul had a vision where God said, no, Paul, you need to go to Rome and stand trial. No, Paul, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the Macedonian guy. You, the, the, he, is, he is ready to hear the gospel. Paul, this is what I want you to do. This is how much you must suffer. And so God used these visions to give leading to Paul. But I believe there's a third reason. This is what I am get gathering from this passage. I believe that Paul is being encouraged. He was encouraged by God. See, Paul, 14 years previous, it was before his ministry actually began. And before his ministry began, uh, just before that, he got saved. And God said to him in Acts chapter 9, Paul... I am going to let you know how much you must suffer for my name. You are going to suffer an incredible amount in order to take my gospel to the Gentile people. So I believe God has given this experience for him to see the glory, the presence of God, and that's what would help Paul 
through all the difficult times. When you're being stoned, when you're being flogged, when you are sick, when you are imprisonment, you, when you are cold, when you are all alone, you only have God. And so he could remember the glory of God and how God had a special commission in his life. Here's the fourth reason, dependency. God wanted, even for Paul, this incredible leader, to create a dependency in him. We're going to see in the, in the next portion how God gave him a thorn in the flesh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he gave that thorn in the flesh so that he wouldn't become conceited, so that he would be completely dependent on God. He says in verse 5 and 6, I will not boast except about my weakness. See, Paul knew that this vision wasn't about how great he was, but it was about how great God was, and he wanted to exalt God and his own weakness that came as a result of this. So that was the vision. So what about the thorn? Let's look at verses 7 to 10 to look at this thorn or this weakness that Paul had. Verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. He's no longer putting it in the third person. He says that this revelation had been given to him and a thorn was given as a reminder. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. And when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's look at two questions and then wrap it up. Here's the first question. What is the thorn? The second question we'll look at is why the thorn? What is the thorn? Last week I mentioned that the thorn is, is pretty much agreed upon by theologian that it is a physical afflictions. There are some that would hold to maybe this was a, a demonic oppression, but for the most part, all the evidence points that this was a physical affliction, largely due to the word thorn. The word thorn is not like a thorn on a thorn bush where you just get pricked. The word thorn here is more like a huge fish hook or a stake that impales somebody. And so what Paul is describing here is something that is hooking him, that is impaling him, pinning him to the ground in a physical, mental, and emotional anguish. This was a deep, deep thing that Paul went through. So much so that he pleaded with God, pleaded with God three times. It wasn't just a casual, oh yeah, one time I mentioned this, and then I mentioned it again to God, and then I, one more time I mentioned No, no, no. This was a time in which Paul just set aside, probably in fasting, probably in prayer, and saying, God, I am asking you, I am pleading you, I cannot deal with the pain of this. Almost similar to Jesus in the garden when he says, let this pass. Let this cup pass from me. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of anguish. If you've hit the wall, 
you may have. If you have come to a crushing end to a relationship, if you have come to a crushing end to your diagnosis, if you have come to a place where what you thought was all true seems to be false, then maybe you understand. And maybe you have found yourself in the same place. Lord, please let this cup pass from me. Lord, this is too much for me to handle. Please take it from me. This is where Paul was. Now note that this was given to him by a messenger from Satan. The word messenger is angel. Angel of Satan. In other words, there was uh, something to do with the demonic world that was a part of this affliction that Paul had. Now we know in the scriptures that that does happen. Remember in the book of Job? God gave permission. It was under the supervision of God. I don't understand it. But it was under the supervision of God where God says you may affect his body. You may affect his livelihood. But you cannot destroy him. God was orchestrating something in Job's life and it was for the purpose of doing just that. And so it could be that. Now just note that this is one of three things that could affect us. Now, if it's Satan, then it's under God's allowance and it's for us to trust him. But we know in the scripture that there are other things, causes for afflictions that we go through. If you go to the book of James, in James chapter 5, he says that there are those that have illness. Call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anoint you with oil. And if there is sickness due to sin, confess the sins to one another. And so from that passage, there are two different types of sin, uh, two types of afflictions or the causes of afflictions. One is natural. Because we live in a fallen world. We talked about this last week. It's still under God's allowance, but it's to make us dependent upon Him. This is where cancer comes from. This is where uh, other afflictions that we face, uh, uh, chronic illnesses or chronic headaches or whatever else that we face, it's just because we live in a fallen world. But then, according to James, there are illnesses that come because of sin. If you're a chronic smoker, please understand you have a future in my wife's office. She's a vascular nurse. They amputate legs all the time because of people that have diabetes, they're overweight, and they have smoked their whole life, and as a result, their arteries are clogged, and there's poor circulation, and eventually they lose their legs. That's illness caused by our sin. Overeating. There's neglect of our bodies, abuse. These are all things that come as a result of sin. So is it Satan? Is it the fallen world? Is it our own sin? God says, you can still come to me. No matter how far you've messed up, you come to me and draw near to me. What is the thorn? It's about physical illness. Why the thorn? Here, this is most important. Four things that are given in our passage. Number one, this is what it did for Paul, and I think it does it for us too. It keeps us humble. Twice, Paul says, God gave it to him to keep him from becoming conceited. 
This tells us that God knows us all too well. He knows that our tendency is to become independent of Him, to brag about our situation. And in this situation, the vision was so weighty that God needed to give Paul a reminder that though I'm going to use you greatly, you have to stay dependent upon me in this journey of life. And so I'm going to give you this affliction to remind you that you are to be drawing near to me. It was to keep Paul humble. Here's the second reason that our passage gives us. It's so that we can begin to understand the full power of God. This is what he says in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen to these words. Therefore, Paul concludes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. My friends, how badly do you want the power of Christ to rest on you? See, I believe Paul states this because he knows, and God states this in his word because he knows our human tendency. Our human tendency is that when things are good, when we are strong, when everything's going well financially, when everything just seems to be clicking in our life, we have this tendency, we have this ability to start walking away from God and start depending on ourselves. And so God sometimes brings things in our life to draw us back to Him. Here's, I'm quoting Steve Marshall here. This is just in my mind, okay? Powerful, powerful quote. <laughs> if we can learn to depend on God... When things are going well, we might bring fewer crises on in our life. Think about that. If we can learn to depend on God when things are going well, we might bring fewer crises on in our life. I have a case study for you. Israel. Remember when they left Egypt? Remember they, they had to depend on God every step of the way, pillar of fire by day or by night and cloud by day? He had to open up the Red Sea. And so when they were dependent on God, their, their backs were against the wall. They're about to die. They would cry out, God, help me, help me. Please help me. And God would answer. And then they would see the miraculous hand of God, and they would praise God. Yes, this is awesome. And then they would go on, and days went by, and weeks went by. And guess what? They started to forget about Him. They started to grumble. They stopped worshiping God. They stopped giving to God. They stopped doing what they, God wanted them to do. All the values that we talked about last week, they started doing their own thing. And they made idols for themselves. And God had to do something. He had to bring a crisis in their life, draw them back to Him. My friends, God will do the same today. If we could learn to depend on God when things are going well, we might bring fewer crises on in our life. Here's the third thing he wants to do. He wants us to become resolved in our circumstances. This is difficult. Listen to these words. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Now, I think all of us are good at this point. I think all of us, for the sake of Christ, I am content. We could all say, amen, hallelujah, because of Jesus, I'm content. 
It's the following words that are so difficult. I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamity. Are you kidding me? This doesn't fit into any kind of prosperity gospel. Where does this fit in? And God wants my life to be okay, for me to be healthy, for me to be wealthy, for things to go good in my life, and for there to be blessings. Are you kidding me? I have to be content with these things? Paul says, I've become content. And I think it's for the last reason. Because it's where he found strength to be spiritually strong. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Dear believer, it goes against the world. But God's economy is always different. He wants you to find strength through your weakness and understand the power of God. So how do we apply this to our life? Let me give you these two axioms again. Here's the first axiom. Powerful people are really weak. You see, in the scripture, we see painted for us people that appear powerful, but what they end up doing is they abuse and take advantage of those that are weak. And I want you to know that still happens in the world today. It happened in this passage. Read Psalm 10 sometime. This has been happening for a very, very long time where powerful people take advantage of the weak. And this is what Paul is addressing with the Corinthians because he knew that these super apostles were taking advantage of the Corinthians. Now here's the weird conundrum in life is that sometimes weak people allow this to happen. This is why an abused woman stays with a dominant man. She may know in her mind that she should not be in that relationship. She knows it's taken her all in the wrong places, but for somehow she's she's just held prisoner in that. There's something wrong. This is why an individual will stay in a job where he's constantly put down, put down, put down. And I think in, in the end, maybe they think, I deserve this. You see, I think it has to do with a lie that sometimes we believe about ourselves, and I'm speaking from personal experience because I have been in this place. I have been there where I have believed the lie of the enemy that says you're no good and this is exactly what you deserve. And I'm speaking to people that are weak in this way and you continue to be weak because you haven't turned it to Christ. You haven't turned it to Christ where you have learned to find your sufficiency completely in Him. Sufficient enough where you can leave that individual and not look back and say, it is okay because I am secure in Christ and I'm doing what's right. You see, we need victory. I know in my own life, I've clung to a victory verse for 30 years in my life. Here's my victory verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient 
in ourselves as claiming anything from ourselves. But here's my verse. Here's my segment that I hold on to. My sufficiency is in Christ. My significance is in Christ. I used to weigh my life by the opinions of people all the time. And what I have had to do over 30 years of Satan wanting to constantly have me weigh my value against somebody else is I have come back with this phrase, no, no, I am not going to believe your lies anymore. My sufficiency is in Christ. He is my importance, and I'm not going to buy the lie anymore. There are some here that you need a victory verse, and you need to believe that. Here's the positive axiom. Weak people are really powerful. Three things, quickly. Number one, we must embrace our weakness, both personally and as a church. See, when we start to understand that I'm not all that, that God is something special and, and, and that he could do something special, he can take the few loaves and few fishes that I bring to the table. I feel like I might have a half a fish. I might have a, a fourth of a loaf that I can present to God. And God takes it and he says, if you're dependent upon me, I am going to do miraculous things with the loaves and fishes. And I am going to do things way beyond you ever thinking. I can remember when I was a youth pastor thinking, I will never, ever get up in front of people to speak. There's no way possible I could do that but God has a sense of humor he turns the little that we have into something beautiful as a church I want you to know we don't have it all together for those of you that would come in and say man I see this hole I see lacking in this area and I see lacking in this area and you might see that as a negative I want you to know that's a weakness. Yes, the, those holes exist. But that's actually a positive to me. Because what it is, is it shows that there's needs within the body, that uh, there's somebody within the body that's equipped to help fill those holes. And that's how we become interdependent upon each other. Isn't God so creative? That's what God wants to do. We embrace our weaknesses. Here's number two. Through the weakness, power and strength will be seen. Over the years, the most effective ministries have come from people that didn't think much about themselves. I think of the insurance man, my friend Carl Ralston, who just one day, because he was exposed to the needs of girls that were being trafficked in the world, saying, what if, what if God did something and I'll, I'm just going to take what I have and the desires that I have, I'll, I'm willing to take my business, I'm willing to sell it, I'm willing to do whatever to help rescue girls. And little did he realize, eight years later, there would be over 10 different countries and 1,600 children that had been rescued from the sex trade. Just an ordinary insurance salesman. I know a woman who was a housewife at one time, a great mother, but she became burdened for the unborn. She became burdened for the unborn and said, what if we can mentor young ladies? What if we could come alongside of them and help them and save some of those lives and, and see those women come to Christ? And years later, through hard work, pregnancy solutions and services, and ICU Mobile was developed. ICU Mobile has 
units all over the United States now because of just an ordinary person saying, what if? I know an ordinary servant of God who started doing some mentoring in the Wilbeth Road homes. And he started saying to himself, what if we could do something to help these kids? He was just a business guy. And he's like, I, I think we could do something here. And then years later, South Akron Youth Mentor was developed. And now many, many boys and girls are being mentored in the Wilbeth Road homes. I know a guy who's an ex-convict. He was supposed to do like 30 years in jail. He did some horrendous things. And then God saved his soul. And somehow he got out of the prison sentence. And he only served like a couple of the years. And he said, what if I could be used to go back in the jail? I'm still going to do my time. But I'm going to do it in the jails to see men and women come to faith in Christ. And thus Broken Chains ministry was developed. Or how about the average people that said several years ago, what if we could see a new church planted in North Canton? Mission View Church. What if? And God has blessed that. You see, through weakness, power and strength are seen. And here's the last one. Through weakness, God is glorified. Let me ask you a question. Who gets the glory for all these ministries? Is it the person that stood up and said, what if? Or is it the God who inspires, the God who gives the resource, the God who gives the instruction, the God who gives the passion, the God who gives the drive? I want you to know it's God all the time. When one sinner turns to faith in Christ, even though you were an influence and the angels are now rejoicing, God gets the glory because he did it. I know that every time a dad comes under conviction and says, I am going to be a leader in my house, God gets the glory. Every time a mom says, I am going to train up my child, I am going to disciple that child, I am going to nurture that child, God gets the glory. Every time a student says, I am not just going to go with the flow in school. I am going to stand up against the culture and I am going to be an ethical student. I am going to be a pure student. I am going to be a student that represents Jesus Christ. God is glorified. And I'm not finished yet because every ordinary person that says, I will follow my passion in this area. God's glorified. As we close out, we're singing a song. It's a new song called How Majestic. This song speaks about our dependency upon God, upon his mercies, and upon his grace. And so what I want to do is I want to come back to that idea of the thorn in the flesh because some of us are going through stuff. And so as this song is being sung, worship with all of your heart but if there is a, an affliction that you're going through, if there's an emotional issue, if there is something that you need the elders to pray over you, what's going to happen is I'm going to ask you by the end of the song just to come and sit in the first two rows. 
And then after the service, after the announcements, we're going to dismiss everyone. And the elders are going to take time and just pray over each person. Whatever your need is. So by the end of the second song, I would ask that you would join me in the first two rows. Let's show God. Let's cry out to God in the midst of our